the real the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it i'm one of your hosts michael and um i think i might be in some big trouble here in a little bit uh and this week i'm joined by my co-host and a friend and the man that i think is gonna try to be escaping from this podcast jesse how you doing jesse i'm doing all right man um uh... You know, worst case scenario, you can always apply to be a star man. So don't worry about it. All right. All right. I, coming back with the quips. I like it, Jesse. <laughs> I try. I, I just work with what you give me. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, uh, this week uh, where this is our last spooky season uh, episode of the year. Um, so Jesse suggested this as a topic. And I'll let him kind of do what we're going to be doing here. But I just uh, wanted to kind of set that up and be like, sad that spooky season's going to be over here shortly. And we'll be rolling right into uh, November and all those other movies and Christmas. And I'm terrified. That's my work coming through. Jesse, why don't you tell us what's going on here today? It's all right, man. This, this is a safe place. You're, you're okay. But uh, we're going to be talking about renowned horror director John Carpenter in this episode. Uh, I think widely considered one of the masters of the genre and someone I've, I think, grown more recently uh, in terms of my admiration for the man and his body of work. But what really stood out to me and kind of made me want to do this episode for this year um, because we talked about uh, Nope when it when it came out, uh, you can go listen to the episode. But uh, Jordan Peele is one of the, I'd say, more contemporary quote unquote experts of you know horror in terms of what we get in the modern day. And when he was doing an interview, somebody, I think, told him like, "Dude, you're you're the master of the horror genre now. Like, you're you're as good as it gets." And he's like. I, I'm paraphrasing, but in his response, he said, uh, with, all due respect, with all due respect, please don't disrespect John Carpenter in front of me <laughs> or something to that effect. <laughs> um, and it's just, I'm always intrigued to hear about influences that modern day directors have. And uh, I would say this is a man who, you know, his influence to this day. Um, we just had another Halloween movie released, you know, last week or whatever. Uh, so his his influence is still felt far and wide in the genre. And uh, I thought, what what better way to close out spooky season and to give the man give the man some time on the on the pod? I mean, very fair. Um, I, I don't know if saying that we've had a more recent Halloween. I don't know if saying uh, we recently had a new Halloween movie added to the, the, the franchises as a good thing, though, Jesse. It's You know, that was disappointing, it, you know, because I, I really only care about the first one because that's the only one that Carpenter directed. And I don't have to tell you, Michael, that there have been, God, I don't even know how many sequels in that franchise uh, since that 1978 classic, but... The the re the direct sequel to that first movie that came out you know four uh, four some odd years ago and was by the same name Halloween that one I heard was pretty good and I was like okay you know maybe they're gonna actually end this thing on a high note and then the last two I've heard have been not so great like many of the other sequels slash remakes that they've made it's like. You can't, you just can't do Carpenter better than Carpenter. You can try, but it's hard to do. Uh, so it's not so much a good thing, so much that people are still trying to capture that original magic because it's, it's Hollywood and we struggle to come up with original ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because we talk about the movie Halloween and this like ongoing, um, uh, uh, uh series franchise uh and it even was something where carpenter i think originally had pitched the idea of just like being uh, very similar to we touched on in our uh spoof episode we did two weeks ago the uh the great slasher bake-off 
of no. Christmas uh, serial, uh, the, the slasher in Black Christmas being uh, Billy. And that was like kind of the first slasher movie. And then that's when they kind of were like, well, let's do Halloween. Um, and at first, Carpenter was like, this is just a one off thing. They wanted to do like other holidays. They wanted to do other. Uh, and he wanted to be more of an anthology uh, movies where they were loosely tied together just based around the creepiness of Halloween. And they got done with the first movie and they were like, oh, God, this is so good. We need to do another one. And he wasn't really on board, if I remember the story correctly. Mm-hmm. And they did Halloween 2 um, in 1981. And then they did Halloween 3, which he's a credit uh, as a screenplay uh, writer on that one. And if you have you ever seen Halloween 3, Jesse? I have not. Um, i i read enough ahead of time to know yeah i'm I'm just gonna stop at one (laughs) yeah but so he came back and wrote for halloween 3 which has nothing to do with michael myers um and uh he's it's like got one of the most like uh crazy theme song things it's like uh how has it how has it go it's like the sh- uh, Halloween. Halloween. Claire Shamrock. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like this low. This thing. That's like the only redeeming thing I think about that movie. Plus, it's got some pretty gr- uh, grotesque uh, things in it, which is, I think, a statement to Carpenter being a writer on there. Um, yeah. I kind of taken us off on a little bit of a tangent, I know, but I just wanted to touch on one of my favorite things that's like Halloween came out. People really loved it. And then they were like, let's do another. And then he's like, I'm not really sure. And then he's like, let me write this third one. That will be just really crazy and different from every other Halloween movie out there. Mm-hmm. And you can see, I think you can see the Carpenter influences in the third one where I think we're really starting to lose those as <laughs> Halloween kills and Halloween's end and Halloween H2O. Oh God, I remember that one coming out. Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's good, man. I I kind of wanted this to be a bit of a, a give and take. I think anyone interested in you know listening to this episode who's a fan of these films, you know, we you you probably know them inside and out if you're a Carpenter fan, and if you're not, um, you know, we don't. I don't think want to spoil too too much for you in case you're ever intrigued enough to check these out, but. Uh, we will be covering uh, some of his more renowned, you know, horror films, and you know, maybe one that some of you haven't heard of, which will be fun. But uh, <clears throat> Halloween's a good start, so I I like that that little tangent you took us on because I think it shows that his artistic vision has always been very important to him, and I think. He's not really a franchise man. Like he's done a couple of sequels here and there, but for the most part, he seems to enjoy doing something original and unique and something different. And, you know, not just retreading the same, the same stories, the same worlds that, you know, he's played in before. And then when I say he's influenced someone like Jordan Peele, who regardless of your opinion, opinion of him as a director uh, very much does try and do things differently and original stories uh, you can see that influence there and influence in directors like that who i think certainly would trace you know some of their their first influences back to carpenter very true yeah i think it so more more of that than oh here's the twentieth <laughs> Halloween sequel in the franchise that <laughs> died a long time ago. Oh yeah, it 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 should have gotten it it should have been caught having sex in a in a bedroom and been stabbed to death. Um, yeah, should have been canceled at some point. But yeah, here we are. But, but yeah, uh, so do we want to talk a little bit about? I know you you kind of pegs uh, for show our four shows four movies um yeah we were talking about halloween so we can yeah. kind of stay with that especially it was kind of the movie that kicked off uh, 
his journey and his career as you know becoming one of the the masters of horror if you will um and it this isn't a spoiler because you can you know just read the the synopsis of the movie and and gather this plot detail but i watched the movie the other day and one one of the things that i love michael about this opening for halloween is it's all from the first person of michael myers and you think it's like well you know he's he's breaking into this house he's you know going to murder this woman he doesn't know or that he's been stalking because that's you know as we come to know that's what michael myers does he's a deranged lunatic but uh he does the murder. It's all in the first person. You can't really, he doesn't speak or anything. So you can't really derive anything from uh, any vocal cues or anything like that. He exits the house. It's all one take from first person. So you, you see him commit the murder and exit out the front door. A car pulls up to the curb. Uh, a couple of adults get out of the car you know you assume because you know uh, they're pretty tall and then they unmask michael myers or michael and it's a six-year-old boy <laughs> and that right there i think kind of set the tone for what this movie was going to be about and that it was going to be a truly original slasher film that was going to try and be different from other things that had come before it. And I thought that was a really smart way to start that movie that probably would still surprise people who hadn't seen that. Yeah, I think it is quite a uh, memorable opening. Uh, I mean, it gets parodied now to death and back of like, if he, he's like heavy breathing. Uh, yeah, it's that heavy slow breathing, of course. Yeah, yeah. so the, the slow crawl up the stairs, all that stuff. So, um, I even think there's it's, to, to to point out the the <laughs> wide sweeping parodies that happen of it or uh, homages, sure. uh, the honorings, those types of things is like even a uh, uh, Aliens versus Monsters that animated movie a while back. Um, mm -hmm. They do a whole bit where they have some sort of like uh, creepy thing like breathing and uh, flashes and stuff like that, and it turns out it's like uh, the girl, the main characters. Um, bridesmaids and like one has an inhaler and that's the the weird breathing and one's like drinking a uh a, a soda and that's the weird bubbly noises and one's taking pictures and that's the flash and like that's the joke but it's yeah. as, as soon as you see it you're like oh yeah it's supposed to be a monster because of something like this this the, the pov shot leading um to him and him because if i remember correctly it's uh she um his sister just got done like doing something with her boyfriend and, she, and she's like changing or something if i remember right and then that's what there's like some sort of yeah she's a perversion she's sitting in her uh, mirror like brushing her hair or yeah something. so yeah that's i remember that being a big part of it as well yeah yeah i mean that's it's pretty fucked up so i'll definitely i'll definitely get you and the place Carpenter wants you to be and kind of give you uh, some context for what to expect, you know, the rest of the way. Um, but I, I always thought that was a really memorable opening. Um, what, if anything, are things that still stand out to you about Halloween? I mean, the creepiness of it, the fact that... Um... There's several shots that are shown where like Michael's just in the background and then he's just yeah. not there. Uh, the kills are pretty brutal, but the, specifically, I think it's really where Jason, it, I, again, we made this similar joke, uh, or I, uh, we made this similar joke in the great, uh, great British slasher uh, one where I was like, oh, it's just kind of generic. -y. It's a guy, it's a, you know, some assumed white guy in a mask with some sort of signature weapon. It's very similar to, yeah. um, you know, Jason and, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw is just, it's this quiet kind of guy, or at least not articulate. And I think, though, that the reason that I always think that Michael Myers is so much more terrifying in these, like, kind of the first few is 
where Jason does these like ridiculous over the top kills, which are fun and exciting in their own way. Mm-hmm. It feels like Michael's is, uh, Michael is more just like a force of nature. And that's what makes it scary is that he's this unfeeling un, uh, unfamily, uh, sorry, I'm trying to think of my words here. Uh, he's just this unfeeling monster for the lack of a better term that just mm-hmm. is there because there's something that he just had, he, he, he's just got to kill people and that's what he's got to do. So I always think he's a little bit scarier than Jason than chainsaw, uh, Texas chainsaw Leatherface guy, just because they're all scary in their own right. Don't, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't like to be in a room with any of them. I always feel like he's got much more of a lizard brain fear. It's quiet. It's slow. It's methodical and it's going to come and get you. It's like death and, and, and taxes. (laughs) <laughs> especially taxes um yeah i think that's a pretty common carpenter theme slash trope that you see in an, many of his other films as well that his antagonists don't really <clears throat> or his monsters his killer what have you they don't really have any motivation that the audience can identify and that would maybe hamper the film in the hands of a director who wasn't able to <clears throat> wasn't able to dictate the type of tension and suspense that is required from that kind of villain in order to keep the audience kind of on edge and invested. Um, but the way that he frames, and at least here in Halloween, like you said, having Michael appear in the background just silently staring and then he's gone having Michael, you know, appear just kind of out of the corner of the camera. And it's like maybe a shoulder and you can hear some breathing doesn't say anything. So he's just like you. (laughs) So, uh, so, uh, uh, so beautifully put Michael like taxes there. It just keeps coming and it's relentless and he's going to get you. And, I think that's why it works and they're able to get away with not giving these antagonists any type of motivation or trying to get us to relate to them because we're not supposed to. They're they're deranged kill in this case he's a deranged killer. So yeah, that's 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 how it should be. Yeah, I it's simply terrifying, I think. Um yeah. I think it's been a while though since I have watched Halloween all the way through um but i remember like it coming on tv and i've never like you know during spooky season and i don't think i've ever turned it off because it's just one of those ones where it's just like i've never gone out of my way to find it mm-hmm. but it is something i'm just like no i want to watch this this is this is good classic stuff so i think it is on max right now so you don't have to go too far <laughs> if you're interested in revisiting but yeah man um i think it also in terms of his more classic films because everything is very practical, you know, if, even though he is relentless, not human in the way that he just keeps coming and coming at you and you just can't, you know, kill the guy or stop him. Um, he is still a human. Uh, so all the kills are practical. Uh, they don't have to put a lot of special effects in this film. Um, so while parts are still dated, of course, it overall, I think, holds up more visually compared to some of these other movies we're going to talk about, because it doesn't. Re- the budget doesn't require you know some of those supernatural effects that uh, some of the other movies do, and and from that respect, it I think is probably just as terrifying in, in <laughs> some respects as when it came out. Yeah, very true. So. I also love that he did the score for this. <laughs> scored his own movie, and it's one of the more you know notable horror movie themes. You know, one of the most iconic ones that we have now. So, fun little fact there. That is interesting. I like that. Hmm. Man of many talents. I I hate guys like this usually because they're jerks and they're good at everything. But he's all right. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, the only other fun fact I know about this, I think people have talked about it to death, is that the Michael Myers mask is uh, a um, inside out, uh, like painted mask, uh, like just like one they got from um, 
a store that's like uh, Captain Kirk. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. there we go. Uh, yeah. So he like widened. So they like the prop guy, they went and got a mask. Um, uh, they it was a, a used mask mold after uh, Captain Kirk. Um, and uh, they like widened the eyes and like spray painted it white and then like altered the hair to kind of like push it up and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's where he got that. That's where that iconic mask is from. Well, there you go. I'm yeah. sure Will Shatner is really proud of that. <laughs> I also like in the movie, they say, or the cops like, hey, well, they stole a mask and a knife and, you know, some ropes from the hardware store. Who else, who else would do that? Kids. <laughs> it's like, damn, what kind of town is this? Jeez. Those damn kids. Those there. damn kids. So, yeah, it's, you know, it still holds up pretty well definitely you know heavily influential um i can't really recommend any other sequels but you know <laughs> this one no yeah, it's still good so um anything else on halloween before we move on no i don't think so i think i've said my uh, piece and my one fun fact i know about it uh, shout out for Jamie Lee Curtis, I guess, for you know, starting her career there. Uh, and a frequent Carpenter collaborator, as we will see. Um, because the next movie I wanted to touch on is The Fog, oh. uh, which was made in 1980. It is the story of a strange glowing fog that sweeps over a small coastal town in California bringing with it the vengeful ghosts of mariners who were killed in a shipwreck there a hundred years before. So Jesse. Yes. Uh, I don't, I've never seen this movie. <laughs> Which I was a little surprised by because you are Mr. Classic horror in a lot of ways, <laughs> but sometimes I'm glad I can still surprise you. So. Yeah. I, um, I feel like I've seen it. I, I, if I remember correctly, the poster image, I, I feel like I know the poster image or something of like um, zombies coming out of the fog and stuff like that. And there's red eyes and, and uh, hooks and swords and stuff like that. So I feel like I've seen the image that it's like talking about and referring to. But yeah. Well, there we go. I'm happy to see if I can pitch this for you in a way that's interesting. But Jamie Lee Curtis also is in The Fog. She's not the main character, but uh, she is you know, one of the leads. Also, Hal Hallbrook is in this movie, which I've always found cool. Um, some of you might uh, think this sounds familiar because as we talked about before we started the episode, there was a remake that was released in 2005. That movie got torn to shreds by critics, but it made a lot of money. So you might have seen that with your friends uh, around spooky season or something like that. But uh, I think because of that and because of the fact that it is, you know, it wasn't a huge success when it came out. Um, it's been more positively received in retrospect um, and, you know, and true Carpenter tradition is a bit of a cult classic now which is another theme of his career movies that don't do super well and they come out, but are now classics. Um, I think it probably just doesn't have as big of a following as a movie like Halloween does or a movie like the thing or they live, but uh, I would say, or Christine, which, you know, his Spielberg uh, adaptation, but uh, I've always liked this movie. It's very like Saturday night, uh, campy horror for me um a little different in the sense that the monsters or you know the vengeful ghosts which i mean they, they look like zombies to me but um that the the vengeful ghosts you know actually have a bit of a motivation they're not just death incarnate you know out to just kill whatever they can so it's a little different there from a story perspective but I just really love the atmosphere of a movie like this, um, a movie in a small town, you know, at night, you know, you know, 
and just the the way they were able to to get the fog uh, and create those effects sometimes which are a little cheesy but uh it's just it has a good mood and tone to it and and in true carpenter tradition is also has some brutal kills which are fun so i think i'm also maybe a little nostalgic for something like this because of that spongebob episode they did where squidward is telling spongebob ghost stories about the hash mean slasher or whatever his name is but uh <laughs> um all i know is about this movie uh is that some of the fog shots were sh- were done in reverse so like mm-hmm. that's that's all i got for you <laughs> <laughs> which is cool i mean it it was hard to do um they uh also they finished the film and they did a rough cut and Carpenter did not like it, which, you know, he's a bit of a perfectionist. He likes his films to be, you know, to live up to his creative vision. And when they don't, he, he gets a little grumpy and he wants to, to tweak and maybe do some reshoots or add new scenes or what have you. And so they did a lot of that with this um, one third of the film is the newer footage so had to increase the budget slightly to a you know a quite luxurious 1.1 million dollars michael so (laughs) we're we're talking real super b-level horror here um but uh it's a fun movie it's not super long It, it gets going pretty quickly and it's just if you like a bit of you know your campy horror i'm sure you know, Sam Raimi has seen this movie before, then I think you'll have a good time. It's it's pretty quick and easy. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. The very least, it's it's better than the one that they did for the remake, which is not saying much, but I I digress. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll have to add it to my uh queue. Uh if you can find it. It's hard to find, but that's uh, what I was yeah, about to. Add. I was about to look that up and see where you can find it, so we can be like, "Hey, if you want to watch it, you can get and rent it on YouTube. Uh, you can watch it on Sling if you have a premium subscription. I, I don't know what that means, but apparently you can do that. You have Sling? <laughs> no, I don't. That <laughs> doesn't seem like much help to you. <laughs> yeah. Also available on Philo if you have a premium subscription. <laughs> What's or, Philo? I, I don't know. There are so many streaming services that I've never heard of. It, it's it's bonkers. But uh looks like it's also on Prime, so you can use Prime. If you yeah, I'll just I'll just rent it on Prime. That's 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 the easiest usually. Yeah, exactly. But uh yeah, it, it clocks in. Let's check this here. Yeah, it's an hour and a half, so it's not a long movie by any means. It earned its, its budget. It's a good time. Um, also did the music for this movie, which I guess was a theme of his. Maybe he was that much of a perfectionist that he had to do the score on all of his films, or maybe he just didn't want to pay somebody else to do it. Probably both. I, I, I think a little, little A, little B. <laughs> so we'll move on. Uh, a movie that I know you've seen Michael and we'll, I'll let you kind of open up on this first and, you know, share some of the things that you remember, you know, some of the things you've taken away from it, but it is the thing, the 1982 film, uh, which at the time was a very divisive film (laughs) that I think has one of the more, one of the more fascinating backstories in terms of, its journey from when it was released and how it was perceived to how it's viewed uh, in the modern day. So anything you want to jump into real quick? Uh, Yeah. The thing, I love this movie so much. Um, Sam. It's, it's just so, so good. Uh, It executes kind of on the, um, I mean, the, the it comes. It's kind of like a remake from the 1951 movie, uh, "The Thing from Another World," 
which has a semi similar story to like this, but then they make it so much more um, intense. Uh, and even to that point, though, I think uh, the 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 practical effects the this is like this is one of those like nerdy things that um we can i would we could do an entire episode on it um but just the effects that they did for this movie is just crazy uh and so many of them were done in camera on set live action um practical effects and it just kind of does that whole idea of you know do you really know people it really is like thought provoking at the end um who's who's the who's human who's not very feeding into that you know uh the scare of the times all those types of things so i it's a great movie it's wonderful i i love watching it i love watching not only just for the in-camera effects but also the um character uh the 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 characterization that happens with people in it too so i'm totally with you um although the first time that i saw this i kind of wasn't sure how to feel about the thing and it's i think that's because it's not a super accessible movie it's not your typical alien invader, you know, here to death to all humans type of film. It's very bizarre and it's very different in its approach. And, you know, again, for those who haven't seen, this is not a huge spoiler because again, you can read the plot synopsis if you want, but the thing being essentially an extraterrestrial that, is trying to assimilate other organisms that it comes into contact with, in this case, humans in Antarctica. And a lot of movies like this, Michael would, as the creature or the extraterrestrial is assimilating and taking over other people or impersonating or intimidating them or imitating them, excuse me. Um, then you would see that. So the audience would be in the know about who has been assimilated or taken over. And then the suspense then comes from, well, now we have this fear about these characters that we care about and we don't want that to happen to them. So that's where the tension would be derived from. The thing doesn't really give a fuck about characterization or getting you to care about anybody the suspense all comes from the fact you don't have any fucking idea for most of the film who was assimilated and who isn't and that kind of approach felt it was jarring to me that first time and i didn't really get it but the more i watched this movie the more on board i was with that the more impressed I was by how flawlessly they integrate that into this and how much time and care they took and to committing to that. And to the point where I can't imagine this movie any other way than the way that they did it. So I, I thought that was a brilliant way to make this movie. Yeah. It's the, it's kind of different than the Alfred Hitchcock uh, conversation around Uh, when you, you know, the audience, they know that if, you know, if you tell the audience there's a bomb, that's the, the tension of going off um, type stuff. Yeah. And it, it is one of those things where you're just sitting there and you're just, once you know what's going on, once you find out that this is what the creature does, it is so jarring and scary. Yeah. That you are, we're all, we all don't know what's going on. We, you know, it's, uh, I think of the whole, um, you know, not to ruin too many things, but I think it's one of the best uh, uh, effects in the movie. But when they're doing the, um, when they're about to, when they're trying to defib that guy, yep. 
uh, uh, and you know, they're just whatever. And then all of a sudden, like the stomach opens up and then closes on the arms and bites them off. Like that moment is just like so shocking because you're just like, oh gosh, you know, he was the, he was, he was this creature the entire time. He was part, he was the thing. Mm -hmm. And he was right there with the rest of them. That's such a great freaking shot and two with the effects and how it's framed and everything because it goes from instantly a situation where they're trying to save a friend or a comrade and it's so you've never seen anything like this that like you said his his torso his chest just opens up and it's got those giant teeth and it bites that freaking arms off <laughs> And he dies, and then the thing is going crazy on the table, that and everybody's guy. freaking out. The You're head comes freaking... off. It's yeah. It's like holy freaking god! I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I mean, it it harkens. You know, it's it's similar to like the the uh, seeing like uh, the chest burster for the first time, right? Yeah. Like it's just such a surprise uh, moment that happens that it's just so crazy. Yeah, I, I think someday maybe we will come back and just do a full episode on like the uh, effects and how they did some of these things because it, it is truly how they pulled some of it off. And it's crazy too because, I mean, this movie was panned when it came out. Like people, critics did not like this movie. Described as instant junk. <laughs> it was really, so it, it just, especially with the time that it came out, E.T. had come out around that time and was obviously a much different movie about a visitor <laughs> from that <laughs> place. And this movie is, it's really bleak. It's, you know, from the setting to the atmosphere to just the paranoia that this group of men have now, that knowing they can't trust anyone and they're that's just increasing more and more as you know time passes in this film. It's dark pretty much for this entire runtime. And then you have this, this monster that, like we've said in Carpenter fashion, doesn't announce any motivation or you know, you don't gain any insight into why it's doing any of this. It's just literally death incarnate, and it's it's gonna keep assim assimilating and killing and, until everybody's dead. So it's, it's very bleak. Yeah. It, I mean, we, we, we understand that, you know, it's doing it because it's, uh, that's what it does to reproduce and it's doing yeah. it in this age. Like, that's what we know. It's just, it's, it's very similar to, and surprise, you know, um, uh, in Nope, um, uh, Jean Jacket, right. That's the, yeah. the, the giant floating alien. Like, it's just a, it, it's a monster to us, but it's just a predator. Like yeah. that's what this, you know, thing does is that's just kind of how it exists. So. Absolutely. Um, but if you love, I mean, good God, if you are a fan of special effects uh -huh. and you haven't seen the thing, I think you're doing yourself an extreme disservice and Michael could very easily <laughs> wax poetic on and on about the different effects. If, if we let him put, I don't I think we don't want this to be a three hour episode. <laughs> hey now. It probably I would only like maybe do two. Oh that's well that's me too, adding. Oh, to okay, it. okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, and especially I mean it might be really it might uh, I could we could push it to three hours if we talked about the the, the quote unquote prequel that came out in two thousand eleven and that <laughs> that that effing travesty. But that's it's like we've said, I mean, you just you shouldn't try and copy Carpenter or <laughs> Make sequels to his stuff. Just, just leave him alone. It's, it's better off. I am, um, yeah. I, I am sensing a trend here, Jesse. Yeah, stay away from him. Like, be influenced, but make your own story. Don't, don't try <laughs> and remake it or copy anything. Um, I also like this film a lot. Uh, we talked about Keith David once already last week uh, from Gargoyles, but he is a Carpenter collaborate collaborator. Uh, I believe. I think this was his first movie with Carpenter. I could be wrong, but he's made several. And Kurt Russell, of course, is in 
many Carpenter films, and I believe this was his first as well. Uh, Escape from New York, I think, came out the year before. Yes. Yeah. Escape from New York came out in, in 1981. And I think, yeah. And then also Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. Like, the, I think I think Escape <laughs> from New York started it. And then it was like Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble, uh, Escape from L.A. Like, yeah, Kurt Russell and Carpenter, worked, I think, probably found like a good bromance going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they just worked well together. Um, and I think Kurt Russell is an, another actor I admire anyway, but he, I think he's just really good in movies like this where you, you, you kind of trust his character because of who he is, but it's a movie where, you know, everybody is just very on edge all the time and it's very nihilistic and, and it, addition to comedy i think he does well in these these types of films so uh, it was a good good choice for him yeah but uh i well, also oh go ahead i was gonna say but i don't know if you were to move us on to the next uh i just wanted to say real quick there's this great quote he had um or that carpenter had in 2008 where he says i take every failure hard the one i took the hardest was the thing my career would have been different if that had been a big hit, the movie was hated, even by science fiction fans. They thought that I had betrayed some kind of trust and the piling on was insane. Even the original movie's director, Christian Niebe, Niebe? Niebe, was dissing me. <laughs> so I think he really attributes this film. I think he has a nostalgia for it and a sense of pride in what was accomplished, but you can also sense when he talks about it that because it wasn't because it was a commercial failure and critics were just lambasting it when it came out that you know that i think that took a toll on him and you know was really you know something that he felt on a very personal level and you didn't really see him try something like this again for a long time that's where you saw movies like starman Big Trouble in Little China, etc. So it's not that those movies are bad. I mean, they're they're fun in their own way, but <laughs> it's it you know sitting here in 2022, it's I it's just always fascinating to me to see how these things that are now just widely seen as you know one of the one of the very best you know horror movies out there <laughs> that was just fucking piled on relentlessly. Uh, back in the day and the effects that the that had on his career yeah it is um interesting learning that he how how it affected him how it you know affects him so much yeah yeah um but jesse before we move on i did want to ask sure so the end, and this is again, sorry, this I mean, this movie's older than we are. Um, yeah, quick spoiler alert, you can jump forward a few minutes, if you yeah, want. yeah. Um, the end of the movie, very famous, yeah. Do you believe that at the end, um, um, do you believe at the end that uh, Keith David's character, uh, Childs, is? a thing uh the alien or do you believe he's still human oh he's absolutely the alien yeah 100 <laughs> because this movie the entire way tells you you have no idea really it, it doesn't really show that many instances of assimilation there's a couple but for the most part when this happens like I touched on the we're as in the dark as the audience, as the characters in the movie. And it can do this with seemingly expert precision uh, without making anybody aware that it's happened. So, yeah, I 100% think that he's assimilated and it's going to keep doing its, doing its dark deeds up in Antarctica. 
Yeah. And the world is screwed. I mean, I like the idea that I've seen a lot of people talk about analysis of like, you know, comparing um, Kurt Russell's uh, character, handing him the glass to drink out of as the similar to when he pours that glass on the computer that beats him at chess. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause he's grumpy about that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the fact that he um, Keith David is also, you can't see his breath um, yeah. like you can Kurt Russell. So I just, you know, it's one of those interesting things that's always think about is like, is it, you know, who's who and what's what type thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a Terminator. There's like actually no way to stop the damn thing. It's seemingly so, but I like that people are, are that fascinated and committed that they have done or analyzed this to that degree. That's, that's so nerdy. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, we'll move on though. And this was the last one that I wanted to talk about. Um, and it is They Live, which was the 19, 1988 Carpenter film, uh, also starring Keith David, but also Roddy Piper of <laughs> WWE fame. And it's a film about an unnamed drifter who, through special sunglasses, uncovers that the ruling class of the world are aliens concealing their appearance and manipulating people to consume, breed, and conform to the status quo via subliminal messages in mass media. It wasn't a huge success at release, although it was number one when it came out. It did not get great reviews, which for Carpenter, man just can't catch a break from these really, really stuck up 80s critics. Um, but as time passed, again, like his other films, it developed a cult following and is now um, uh, pretty, pretty positively viewed as you know a solid film in his body of work. Um, also, I think contains you know one of the better fight scenes I've seen in terms of two dudes just slugging it out who aren't Schwarzenegger or Stallone or anybody like that. I mean. It, it has to be that great when uh, South Park like literally makes a, almost a shot for shot remake of it uh, in one of their episodes. So yeah. you have to know it has some sort of impact at that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. Uh, small, you know, tangent, but I never understood why people were ever insulted about being on South Park. You've got their attention. You must be doing something to <laughs> make yourself stand out. Maybe not great, but hey, it's it's a it's a badge of honor to be parodied on that show. I I guess <laughs> depending on what you're doing. Yeah, depending yeah depending on why you're being parodied. Um, I think of uh, 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 gay fish as a particular uh, note in that one. Or oh yeah, that's uh that's timely. Yeah right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about <laughs> just the other day. I was like, hmm, God. I'm excited to see how that plays out later. <laughs> well, we'll. Uh, revives said statement if you just make a movie that's harmless and you're parodied probably a good thing <laughs> there you go <laughs> um but yeah dude i obviously you know i as a wrestling fan i, I was also a fan of roddy piper and i just think in this movie he's a pretty good choice for this role it's not like his acting is you know going to win him any academy awards or anything but he is he does have a sense of appeal and charm to him that for this unnamed drifter who then discovers this mass conspiracy and of course nobody believes him because he's a drifter he just he didn't even have a job at the start of this movie um that of course he comes off as unhinged and maybe a little crazy and then that and I'm like, dude, that's that's Roddy Piper to a T in terms of his wrestling character. So good, good choice by Carpenter. <laughs> I do think he has like a very particular uh, charismatic uh, approach or uh, yeah. yeah, like he, he he's so it, it is that type of thing where he's yeah, he's not going to win an Emmy or an Oscar or any other one of those uh, definitely 
completely uh, unbiased awards. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he is, you know, he has that presence that he can, you know, I think of that bank scene so confident in what he's doing. It just translates so directly from the ring. Yeah, of course. You know, if you need somebody to confidently deliver a cheesy but awesome line, Roddy Piper's your man for the <laughs> 1980s. Or maybe Randy Savage, but he's especially crazy. So probably better for to get Piper for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he does. I mean, he is very charismatic. And again, as a leading man, especially, you know, because, you know, he's a, he's a fairly good looking dude. Um, I think it just comes together pretty well. And he is a good choice for the role. And he and Keith David, I think, have good chemistry in this film in terms of, you know, guys who kind of find some common ground and then are <laughs> alienated from each other for a bit, which leads us to that really well put together fight scene. I, I watched this as well a couple of weeks ago and I was pretty surprised how well that still holds up. Yeah, it's they went all in. It's pretty great. I mean, yeah, I again, it's it's Roddy Piper <laughs> all his own stunts. And yeah, we can do as many takes as you want. We're going to do takes. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in. We can do this for as long as you want. Um, and Keith David, who's always again, I, I said last week, the guy's one of my heroes because he always is super committed to whatever role he's doing. And they do go for it. This, this is a long freaking fight scene for just two guys, again, duking it out in some alley. Right. So I really appreciate that aspect. Some of the effects are not very good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> whatsoever. And I think that's why when we look back to Halloween, that's a movie that's going to age more gracefully than some of these other horror films that they made. But, you know, it's if you accept that it's it's a cheesy, cheesy movie with a wrestler in the lead about <laughs> aliens no one can see except with a pair of special sunglasses, then you don't have any problems. You just have a good time. I mean, yeah, right? You just along for the ride. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely along for the ride. It's it's fun. Um, also, he did the music for this movie as well. I wonder if he did it for all his movies. Now I have to look that up. But what else, uh, if anything, sticks out to you about They Live, Michael? I mean, the uh, it's one of those that the messages are, sorry, that it's one of those that the message of the movie is just so influential uh being the fact that it talks about some sort of elite ruling class that uh there's these subliminal messages everywhere they you know are have infiltrated every single aspect of life for us and we are so un unaware that they're doing it is you know i mean Currently, it's a description of, uh, you know, our current political structure and uh, our current social, you know, this is not a metaphor for our current living condition. Oh, uh, not yet. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, you look at memes online and they have like pictures of the whole like uh, rowdy, like putting on the glasses, taking off the glasses in like the bookstore or wherever it is. Yeah. And it's him doing that but instead of it being like a scene from the movie it's like mark zuckerberg um <laughs> so <laughs> it, it it's i think one of those movies that has a deeper political message uh yeah. and, and a deeper meaning behind it than just like a fun action movie with some great one-liners of you know chewing bubble gum and kicking ass and all that type of stuff but yeah just the the idea of like obey submit consume um that type of stuff it's just so bleak and unfortunately so relevant to uh how our current lot in life is you know obey yeah well a little bit of 1984 in there yep 
<laughs> yeah, I, you're right, man. I mean, they're the social commentary. I think definitely does set it apart as you know just another cheesy, fun '80s action film, and that's something that I think he tried. Carpenter, that is, uh, made more of an effort to insert to his films was to have, you know, commentary and, you know, uh, levels, uh, levels of depth like that to the themes and the story that, you know, would set it apart is rather than, you know, just another horror movie. So much appreciated and yeah, sad how, how well those things still hold up, but there we are. Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm going through a bunch of pictures here and there's, it's, it goes from every, uh, like I was saying, meme stuff, but it goes from everything from, uh, there's one here with Ivanka Trump, uh, to ones that are like, parodying like the stay home orders that we had in, uh, 2020, you know? So yeah, it's very clear that like this touch, like this movie can touch on such a particular, uh, thread and emotional state that we as humans and our human condition have about these this concept so it's crazy to me that it was so just not you know it's it's more of a cult classic than it is you know something that's was always thought of as amazing yeah especially in the 80s i mean critics were just grouchy i guess i don't know maybe dumb but uh it regardless is looked upon more favorably now and if you haven't seen it i mean the very least you gotta hear him deliver his classic line in the, the bank you know that alone makes it worthwhile very true <laughs> but yeah in terms of wrestlers and movies i'd say piper is up there for one of the better ones and you know, with carpenter was a good match so would recommend um anything else on they live michael nope that's uh, that's really all i got i don't have much like fun facts or uh things along those lines sure sure well that about wraps me up for the ones i wanted to talk about today um apologies to fans of christine uh i had told michael i thought we were covering probably carpenter's best horror movies in this episode Christine fans might take umbrage to that. So my apologies. Maybe we'll talk about that next year. Or maybe not. Who knows? Maybe there's a Stephen King adaptation <laughs> in the future. You never know. You never know. But I appreciate you taking the time with me on this, Miguel. I think, again, I thought this was a fitting way to do our last spooky season episode. And the more I spend time watching carpenter films i think probably one of the reasons why some of his movies had a cult following and <laughs> took a while to become you know better perceived is that the more time i spend with them the more i i tend to like them so i mean just a really cool dude <laughs> yeah he's, he's one of the good ones yeah perfect all right well i think we'll uh, wrap it up here um yeah we've we've we came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum and we're all out of bubble gum and my my ass is tired so take us all on. right wow jesse way to steal my thunder <laughs> i have to get you every once in a while <laughs> perfect uh well thank you so much for listening to hit the reel the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it uh we try to get this podcast out weekly usually on saturdays sometimes on sundays um and uh probably closer to mondays coming up with the season uh that i'm heading into at work so uh let us know uh if we got something wrong if um this is where i was going to insert the thing about chewing bubble gum and kicking ass but jesse stole it from me so i don't have any good little uh shenanigan line here so let us know what you think at hit the real podcast at gmail.com again that's hit the real podcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you also feel free to take a look at our uh patreon in the description of the episode and like always hey keep it real